Welcome in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are so glad you could join us from your homes as we celebrate this first Sunday of June. We continue to worship online, leaning into the hope that soon we will be worshiping in person again. In our last conversation with the bishop, if all continues well with our phase in, there is the possibility that by the end of June, we could, with some modifications, move into the church building for worship. Now, today, during the worship service, we will be celebrating communion. Those are who are connected with grace had an opportunity to receive blessed and consecrated communion elements that can be used later in our service. If you are a guest online, we just want you to know that if you have the opportunity in the future to worship in our sanctuary when we have communion, that all people are invited to partake of communion, including children. Christ invites all to his table of grace. But for this morning, if you do not have communion elements that have been blessed at your home with you, we do invite you to a brief love feast at the end of our celebration today. So you can gather some bread or crackers or some such food right now and some water to use during this service as a celebration of Christ's presence with us and in gratitude for the spirit of God's love. Let us now join together in the call to worship. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What, what a, a blessedness, blessedness. What, what a, a peace, peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I, I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms.
the good news from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And a certain lawyer that is an expert in Mosaic law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor, neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he wishing to justify himself asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was encountered by robbers who stripped him of his clothes and belongings, beat him, and went their way, leaving him half dead. Now by coincidence, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also came down to the place and saw him, and passed by on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan who was traveling came upon him, and when he saw him, he was deeply moved with compassion for him, and went to him and bandaged up his wounds pouring oil and wine on them to soothe and disinfect his injuries. And he put him on his own pack animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two days' wages and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I return. 
Which of these three do you think proved himself a neighbor to the man who encountered the robbers? He answered, the one who showed compassion and mercy to him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I'm going to be honest with you. This has been a long week. While we've remained busy during this stay at home in phase three of the pandemic, we have missed seeing your precious faces. And if ever we have needed a time to hug it out, it has been this past week as we have grieved losing Joel Vandemore. And throughout the week, I have, have watched and pondered and prayed over all that has gone on in and across our nation. So today, I want to start by saying that I am prejudiced. There was a time I wouldn't admit that. I would like to say that I am colorblind or that age or gender or economic status or any number of other things don't make a difference. Prejudice, prejudging people. I know. I have been influenced by my surroundings and my experiences as I've grown up, and they've shaped the way I look at people. I grew up in a small, all-white town, and I heard the N-word from my dad. Never in reference to an individual, it was this kind of candy he loved to eat, but he couldn't get where we lived. And so every time we would go back to where he grew up, he would purchase some. And then I'd hear that word. I knew it wasn't a nice word. I knew what it referred to and that it was a slur. And I overheard grown-up conversations when my mom was back home. The men and then the kids were all fed, and then they were sent off. And then the women, the women would sit at the kitchen table, and they would kick back, and they would start chatting. And some of us kids would hang around the edges, and every once in a while, we would hear talk about some colored person. But what really communicated the need to be fearful was when we had to go through a certain part of Urbana. My dad would grip the steering wheel and bark out, make sure your doors are locked. And we all knew he meant it had to do with the type of people who lived in that part of town he had to drive through. Now, things have changed over the years. Between education, 
relationships, the work of the Holy Spirit in a chaplaincy position with at-risk children and youth, I've grown. I went through a, a stage where I was pretty frustrated with my parents. And to tell you the truth, I was pretty self-righteous. But you know what? I had to drive through that, that part of Urbana to get to my work. And I had to consciously keep myself from reaching to lock my doors. If I said I wasn't prejudiced, it would be untrue. I still prejudge people. The only one who is not prejudiced, who has not prejudged you or me or anyone, is the one who created us, the one who sent his son, Jesus, fully divine and fully human, sent him not to condemn, but to save us. Jesus, who said in the Gospel of Matthew, the seventh chapter, in the first verse, do not judge so that you may not be judged. You know, I may not have control over where I was born and how I was raised, how I was taught and the experiences of my childhood, but I can make those feelings fleeting. Let those thoughts quickly pass through if I choose not to judge, not to judge based on how someone looks on my initial reaction. Now, the lawyer in the story for this day needs Jesus' help in judging who his neighbor is because he wants to justify the way that he is reading the law and who he must love as himself, his legal obligation, and how he treats others. In other words, who he doesn't need to love, who he doesn't have to care about, who he can judge as being other. Dr. Amy Jill Levine is the professor of New Testament and Jewish studies at Vanderbilt Seminary. Pastor Mark and I had the occasion to hear her speak on this met this passage through an online teaching opportunity, and it opened my eyes to the way those who first heard it would have experienced this parable. It brought me up short, and it has remained with me as I watched the events of this past week unfold. Now, a, a parable is supposed to make the comfortable uncomfortable. And after preaching on this passage many times, I didn't expect it to surprise me. But then a parable should make me uncomfortable, especially now from my place of privilege. Who is my neighbor? Who has not only the same responsibilities, but the same rights? So the story begins with a man going down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem who is mugged, stripped of his clothes, beaten, and left half dead. Jesus then brings in the rule of three. 
And his listeners would have been waiting for this. This is a part of the formula of the story. Now, you know the rule of three. For example, the old joke that begins, a rabbi, a priest, and a... Yes, a lawyer, a rabbi and a priest and a lawyer walk into a bar. Oh, that's how a good joke begins. Or maybe in more spiritual terms, the father, the son, yes, the Holy Spirit. So they're listening as Jesus begins this parable. The priest and a Levi walk by on the other side of the road. And Dr. Levine shares that not only for Jesus' audience, but in any synagogue congregation today, the third of the group is obvious. Anyone who knows anything about Judaism, she says, will know that the third person is an Israelite, and he would help. But the person who stops is not an Israelite, but the dreaded enemy, a Samaritan, a few that exceeds the Hetfields and McCoys. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about the priest and the Levite passing on by. Most make them out to be bad people, but be careful in judging their actions. Over the centuries, the, this view has led the Christian church to imagine that all priests and all Levites, leaders of the Jewish church, are bad people. That they acted like this, as if Nicodemus and Josephus and others like them who supported Jesus never existed. In the same way, some are so shaken by the way George Floyd was mistreated, how his life was taken, that they feel as if all officers misuse their power. Yet in a message from the Illinois State Police, we read, in light of the civil unrest and violence that occurred over the Memorial Day weekend, we have stepped up to support municipalities and local law enforcement to ensure the protection of peaceful protest, human life, infrastructure, and the livelihoods of people still suffering the effects of COVID-19. In fact, an African-American officer had slurs aimed at his race, shouted him from other African-Americans because he was wearing blue. Still later, Without a bit of safety gear, he and fellow officers entered the fray to help those who had been injured when violence broke out. He wrote, I will continue to serve my community of color in this uniform. You can choose to hate me. I won't hold a grudge. I will help police the police with you. But we also have to police ourselves. Don't promote racism by judging the color of my skin because of the uniform I'm wearing. What happened in Minneapolis was tragic, and law enforcement everywhere knows it. Not everyone in blue misuses their authority, but all should be accountable. 
You know, it would never be Jesus' intent to say that every priest and Levite would pass by and not offer help. I have my own thoughts on this. Jesus tells us that the man has been stripped of his clothes and all of his belongings taken. That's important because there's nothing to distinguish him as Jewish. He's been beaten and left half dead. He is unrecognizable. I believe Jesus sets this story up so that the religious leaders are asking the same question. The same question as the lawyer. Is this my neighbor? It's a legitimate question. Is he one of our own? Is he a stranger living in our land? Am I obligated to help him according to our law? If I can't tell for certain, then perhaps it is safe according to the law to pass on by and do nothing. Asking the right question is important. Martin Luther King Jr. suggests that maybe the men were afraid and that the first question the priest and the Levi asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him. Hmm. I've thought about that as I've watched the anguish over all that has gone on this past week, the last few years. Well, let's be truthful since our ancestors first step foot on this land. If we do not stop, what will happen? Reverend Patrick Nguolo pastor of resurrection in Houston shared with Christianity today. What an important part George Floyd shared in their ministry. They were able to reach out through him to build their ministry. He met Floyd in 2010 and from the start, big Floyd made his priorities clear. He said, I love what you're doing. The neighborhood need it, the community need it. And if you're all about God's business, then that's my business. Pastor Nguolo's friends in ministry said, there's only so much disbelief they can muster from this kind of killing. They're black men too. Despite their innocence, their faith, their good deeds, they had their own stories of being suspected, humiliated, and threatened by authorities. And now they're put in the position of rightly remembering a man they knew as a gentle giant, an inspiration to the neighborhood and a positive force for change. But they also say that shouldn't matter. That shouldn't matter. Pastor Nguolo wrote, the fact that you have to build a narrative for a man to be loved and given justice is repulsive to me. Even if he was a capital criminal, he deserved to be treated as someone created in God's image. 
I'm done coddling Christians that can only love people they deem to be lovable. That really struck me. When I think about who is my neighbor, who am I obligated to care for, to treat as an equal? This pastor's words ring in my ears. What kind of narrative do I have to build? The Samaritans saw this man half dead, and he was moved by compassion. Now, we have made the Good Samaritan into this privileged person who extends a helping hand to those in need. And so it's been easy for us to make ourselves into the good Samaritan in this parable. But that's not how this parable goes. Those listening didn't consider themselves equal to Samaritans. No, they considered themselves above. Samaritans. Dr. Levine reminds us that in antiquity, they referred to this story as the parable of the man that fell among robbers. In this story, we are the man in the ditch. And when Jesus asked, which of these three do you think proved himself as a neighbor? The man, which one? I imagine the lawyer rather tight-lipped answering Jesus sparingly, the one who showed compassion and mercy to him. And Jesus told him, go, go and do likewise. Show mercy and compassion, even if you don't know his narrative, because it's not a question of obligation. And under it all is something even deeper. Let the compassion rise up from recognizing that the face of the other, even the face of the enemy, is in the likeness and the image of God. The face of the person we may have prejudged and the one we think might kill us is the very person who might very well save our lives. Brothers and sisters, we must overcome the isms. And I must confess my prejudice. I have to confess it in order to be able to repent from it. I have to confess it so that I can again and again turn from judging others. The civil rights movement took up an old spiritual song that the slaves in the field sang, I'll be all right someday. Then a Methodist minister, Charles Albert Tinley, born of slave parents, published a version of it in 1901, all overcome someday. And decades later, young singers took up and laid down the harmonies and made it what it is for the civil rights movement, what we know it as, we shall overcome. Bernice Johnson Regan, a preacher's daughter was a part of that group that helped rewrite that. But she already knew the song, As I Shall Overcome. She recalls the change to we as a way to help bring whites and blacks together. She explained, you know, in the black community, if you want to express the group, 
You have to say I, I, because if you say we, I have no idea who's going to be there. Have you ever been in a meeting? She said, people say, we're going to bring some food tomorrow to feed the people. And you sit there on the bench and say, hmm, I have no idea. It is when I say, I'm going to bring cake. And somebody else says, I'll bring the chicken. That you actually know you're going to get a dinner. So there are many black traditional songs where it's I. Because in order to get a group, you have to have the eyes. So what are we going to do? It has to start with I. NPR's Noah Adams writes that this song is a promise that we shall overcome someday because deep in my heart, I do believe. What's it going to take? Perhaps it takes a man to die to wake us up. Listen, if it takes one man to die to wake us up, if it takes one man to die to stop the violence, if it takes one man to die so that we can finally see the face of the Creator in every face we see, if it takes one man to die for justice to roll down like a mighty stream, then in the name of all that is holy, let that one man be Jesus. Because deep in my heart, I do believe that Jesus laid down his life into the hands of prejudice, into the hands of fear, that he laid down his life for love so that I could overcome my prejudice. Let it be Jesus for us. For only then can we rise up again with him. Only then can we receive the power from above, the promise of the Holy Spirit to face our prejudice, to set aside our judgment, to see Jesus in the face of the other, and to proclaim that this, this is the day, this is the time of the Lord's favor. Yes, there are bandits on the road, and yes, it's dangerous. But I'm telling you, it's more dangerous to pass by our neighbor. It is more dangerous to do nothing. It is dangerous to our spirit. It is dangerous to our nation. It is dangerous to our children. And yes, it is dangerous to the kingdom of God. Yes, there are bandits on the road, and yes, it's dangerous. But when we recognize everyone as a human being with the same rights, then we have the same obligation, and we will overcome, not some day, but this day. Amen.
Let us pray. Oh God, you made all people in your own image and redeemed us through Jesus, your Son. You make the world your neighborhood. Opening yourself to all, you are here to love us and care for us in every need. Today we remember neighbors near and far, those around the corner and those around the world. Overcome the fear and prejudice that infects our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Forgive us for distancing ourselves from the deep wounds in our nation and thinking it's somebody else's problem, not ours. Forgive us that we have become unfeeling and uncaring concerning issues of race and justice because we are insulated and removed in our safe communities. Our hearts and minds are on overload. We have become numb to real hurt and grief. What can we do? What would you have us do? Jesus, you invite us to follow you, to follow you to our neighbors, to those who are weak and poor and vulnerable and have no rights, no voice. You invite us all to your table and you give us a choice to follow you or to turn away. You know what we've chosen many times before. You know where we've lacked courage. You know how we've used excuses and been distracted by our own concerns and have hidden behind our faith. Help us, O oh God, in our weakness to keep our focus on Jesus. Fill us with the Holy Spirit let that fire burn in us, breathe new life in us that we can, through your power, move away from being overwhelmed and stuck and fearful and move towards a place of passion for justice and compassion for those who've suffered injustice. Help us to see everyone as our neighbors, as you do, O oh Lord. We pray for those who grieve the loss of a dad, a loved one, a friend, George Floyd. We pray for all those who have lost loved ones at the hands of injustice and, mis and misuse of power. We pray for police departments in our communities and across our nation that have individuals within them that misuse their power and make it hard for everyone else to do their jobs with integrity. We pray for change to come that will heal the deep wounds and will restore the trust. Our hearts are heavy over the loss of our dear friend and colleague, a bright and shining light in our community, Joel Vandemore. We lift up his family to you, draw near to them in their shock and disbelief beyond all human understanding. Grant us your peace when words fail us and we feel the loss in our bones. You are our rock and our salvation, a very present help in times of trouble. We come to you with our troubles today, Lord. We thank you. 
that you invite us all as family to your table. And as we come before you with bread and cup, we thank you for your unconditional love and for forgiveness. And for this glimpse of your heavenly banquet that you prepare for all. Hear our prayers in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us begin with the sacrament of Holy Communion. Will those who have the blessed elements pre prepare to receive? We will follow with the agape or love feast so those who are participating may also prepare their bread and water. Let us pray. God, who holds us all in the palm of your hand, the circumstances of life are breaking our hearts. Remind us that you walk with us and that with you all things are possible. Come, Lord Jesus. We remember your son Jesus standing trial, being rejected and killed. In Christ you felt our pain, O oh God. Knowing he faced possible death, Jesus left his followers this reminder of himself. A reminder of your love as he said, This is my body which is given for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Here at this table and extending to the tables at your home are the consecrated gifts of bread and cup offered to the children of God. As we receive them this day, O Lord, make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed. Pour out on us your Holy Spirit, that we may be poured out in service to you for the transformation of our nation and the world through your son Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit in your holy church all honor and glory is yours almighty father now and forever amen the bread which we share is the body of Christ take and eat and remember him The cup over which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. Take and drink in remembrance of him. The agape feast, the love feast, is a celebration born out of love, generosity, and fellowship. 
This feast nourishes the hearts and souls of Christians. It is an experience of warmth and sharing, and at its most symbolic, a means of God's grace. So if you will take your bread and water now, for as we share the love feast today, it is a way to remember Christ's presence on earth and to celebrate with gratitude the spirit of God's love. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we've all come to this place frail and broken. In a world of violence, hate, greed, and isolation, in a church searching to find the way forward, we look for healing through this agape feast, this love feast. It is in this love feast where adversaries become friends, friends become neighbors, and the Christian family embraces all. Let us share the blessings of food and water just as the first Christians did in ancient times. It is important to know that this feast is not Holy Communion, but one of love and of fellowship. Commemorate now our unity and feast on the spirit of love who is Christ. You may now take, drink, and eat this water and this bread in Christian fellowship. And as you do so, remember Christ who walks with you and carry with you the love of God. Amen.
to grace you with a blessing now from our former bishop, Bishop Woody White. And now may the Lord torment you. May the Lord keep before you the faces of the hungry, the lonely, the rejected, and despised. May the Lord afflict you with pain for the hurt, the wounded, the oppressed, the abused, the victims of violence. May God grace you with the agony of burning thirst for justice and righteousness. May the Lord give you courage and strength and compassion to make ours a better world, to make your community a better community, to make your church a better church. And you do your best to make it so. And after you have done your best, May the Lord grant you peace. Amen.